Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Since the beginning of the European colonization of North America, there was conflict with the native peoples, who for centuries had already lived and thrived on the land. Of course, as the colonies prospered and the population of white settlers grew, there quickly came an increasing desire to expand westward onto what was considered undeveloped and unoccupied territory. The reality, however, was that much of this land was already home to numerous indigenous tribes. Wars broke out and alliances were made. Some conflicts ended peacefully, but others lingered on. Some of the earliest settlers of what is now West Virginia experienced this tension firsthand when in a violent confrontation Several of the Mitchell Clay family children were killed at their home over what today many believe could have been sacred tribal land. Land that has continued to be plagued with violent tragedies. Land that has since been called one of the most terrifying places in the country. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. In 1773, native Virginian Mitchell Clay received a royal land grant for 803 acres of undeveloped land near what was then known as Clover Bottom, an unsettled region along the western edge of the then British colony of Virginia. Mitchell, his wife Phoebe, and their family settled this new property and began building a home. They would soon have a prosperous farm that cultivated tobacco and wheat, and they raised their own herd of cattle. The Crown had previously denied colonists the opportunity to settle this far west after issuing the Royal Proclamation of 1763. New territory had been acquired by the British as a result of the French-Indian Wars, 
and the proclamation outlined these new divisions. The decree also reserved land west of the Appalachian Mountains for native tribes, some of which were allies during the war. But westward expansion was inevitable, and violence on the frontier was rampant. So in 1768, Great Britain signed a treaty with the Six Nations of Iroquois, purchasing land to extend the boundary line, opening up the Ohio River Valley to settlement in what is much of present-day Kentucky and West Virginia. Unfortunately, the Iroquois Confederacy did not represent all of the Native Americans who hunted and inhabited this area. And settlers like Mitchell Clay, who took advantage of this new land, were left exposed to protect themselves and their families. One day, in August of 1783, Mitchell Clay headed out to hunt with his oldest sons. He had just completed harvesting the family's grain crop, and in an attempt to better utilize his land and give his herd more room to graze, Clay charged his sons Mitchell and Ezekiel with building a fence around his harvest while he was away. But there, awaiting the family's patriarch to leave, was a band of 11 Native Americans who had patiently crept to the edge of the field and shot Mitchell's son, Bartley. Upon hearing the gunshot, several of Clay's daughters who were washing clothes in the river immediately ran home for safety, except for one. When she saw that one of the men was attempting to scalp her brother, Tabitha Clay turned her attention to saving his body. Tragically, the young woman was killed as well, stabbed to death with the same knife that would be used to scalp them both. The attackers then turned and fled, taking Mitchell's son Ezekiel captive. Meanwhile, Mrs. Clay remained hidden inside her home with the younger children. Witnessing the horrific attack through the window, watching her children's murder unfold before her, now with two children dead and one kidnapped, Mrs. Clay retrieved the bodies of Bartley and Tabitha and laid them in their beds before she fled with her remaining children into the woods, traveling six miles to safety at the home of nearby James Bailey. But when Mitchell Clay finally returned and discovered the horrific scene, he immediately assumed his entire family had been either killed or captured. So he headed straight for the nearest friendly settlements out on the New River, where he'd round up a posse of men 
to pursue the band of natives. The group soon caught up to the attackers in what is now Boone County, and several were killed. Mitchell's son Charles Clay, a surviving brother of the two murdered children, vengefully shot one himself. Unfortunately, the group of natives had split up, and Charles's brother Ezekiel was still in their possession. By the time he'd be found, Ezekiel Clay was burned at the stake. The site of the Clay family massacre is located in what is now Mercer County, West Virginia. The mountain state was the 35th to be admitted into the Union, when Virginia itself became deeply divided over the issue of secession. So in 1863, the West split and was given statehood. Rich with natural resources, West Virginia eventually capitalized off the railroad expansion during the Reconstruction era, prospering greatly from the profitable coal and timber industries. Within 50 years, the population tripled in size, and West Virginia was ground zero for fueling the Industrial Revolution with its coal. Hoping to take advantage of this new thriving economy, was a man named Connolly T. Snydow. In 1926, Snydow purchased land near Princeton, West Virginia, where he planned to open an amusement park, catering to the families of local coal miners. The result was Lake Shawnee Amusement Park, It featured carnival rides, concession stands, a dance hall, a swimming pool, and a racetrack, as well as cabins for guests to stay in while visiting. But either unaware or unconcerned, the land that Snydow purchased to build this park was the same land where the Clay family children had been massacred. And unfortunately for some of the families visiting Lake Shawnee Amusement Park, it would claim more children as well. said that up to six deaths were reported to have occurred at the amusement park, eventually forcing it to shut down in 1966. But the first tragedy to occur didn't happen to a visitor. It happened to Snydow himself. Only a year after the park opened, Snydow's daughter Eloise was caught in the doors of an elevator at the hotel where the family resided. 
and she was killed. Her death was then followed by another young girl, this time in the park itself. The girl was killed in a horrific accident while on the revolving swing set. A delivery driver accidentally backed his truck into the ride, and it's said this young girl was decapitated. But the site of the most tragedy was Lake Shawnee Amusement Park's swimming hole. The first drowning occurred in 1961 to a six-year-old boy named Wayne Harmon. Then less than five years later, another death would follow when 11-year-old John Richard Ty Lee got his arm caught in an intake pipe and drowned. Filled with guilt and grief, Snydow shut down his beloved Lake Shawnee Amusement Park and for over 20 years, it lay abandoned. Its rides left to rot and rust in the West Virginia sun. The grounds given the freedom to grow wild, unkempt, until 1985, when a man named Gaylord White purchased the abandoned property. White had intended to refurbish the park to its former glory but as his family claims today, the land didn't agree, and his attempts were unsuccessful. But what White discovered in the process was that the public's attraction to the grounds was just as powerful in its current state as many believe that echoes of its tragic past still make themselves known there. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right. Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions are going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up. But since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups. And trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. That's right, southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. 
I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Visitors to the Old Lake Shawnee Amusement Park have claimed some of these spirits of the past present themselves in the appearance of floating orbs. Others cite unexplained sounds and even the disembodied voices of children. There's also been sightings of full-bodied apparitions there. One of a man claimed to sit in one of the decaying Ferris wheels cars, inhabiting the rusty ride's nine o'clock position, sometimes even seen jumping from it, believed to be the ghost of a man who did the same in life over half a century ago. Of course, the swings are one of the most eerie of the abandoned attractions. The revolving swing set where the young girl tragically lost her life is said to frequently move on its own, with cold spots hovering above the rotted seats. But even more terrifying are the sightings of this little girl, her apparition said to don a pink dress with ruffled sleeves, still swinging on her final ride. But the echoes of the Native Americans who once lived here are also purportedly common. The sound of their drums have been heard beating through the night. Gaylord White's widow herself has even claimed to have personally encountered the full-body apparition of a Native warrior, armed and ready for battle. The veracity of these claims that the spirit's presence exists is bolstered by the fact that after purchasing the property in 1985, White accidentally discovered the real-life remains of a native gravesite. The bodies of 21 indigenous people were uncovered and 13 were children. Further research performed by the Marshall and Concord Colleges found evidence of two separate settlements on the property that predated the Clay family by centuries, estimating that as many as 3,000 bodies of Native Americans were laid to rest there. Unknowingly, the Clay family had literally settled on the bones of the Native Americans who had been there before them. 
and the ramifications of that are seemingly still echoing on through the centuries. Today, a statue named Agony in Stone, featuring Mitchell and Phoebe Clay, stands outside the Mercer County Courthouse in West Virginia. The first settlers of the region memorialized for their role in the westward expansion of the early colonies and remembered for the tragedies they endured in the process. But as for their land, the rusty old bones of the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park still sits over half a century after its gates were shut. Overgrown, unkempt, its rides still decaying and exposed to the elements. White's family continues to give tours and hosts events there for those interested in seeing firsthand this perpetually haunted land, inviting visitors to not only come and experience the remnants of the past, but also to bring an offering to leave at the native burial grounds as a sign of respect to those who lived and flourished there for centuries prior. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks. What's something you learned in history class that you feel like wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast.